Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today I'm talking with Leonard Shimshek. Leonard's a licensed clinical social worker and author, speaker, psychotherapist, and life coach. For the past 40 years, he's worked both in Australia and America as an educator, writer, and therapist. He was director of the Family Therapy Program at the Marriage and Family Center in Sydney, Australia, and later worked with the Family Institute at Northwestern University. He's the author of The Roadmap Home, Your GPS to Inner Peace, an Amazon bestseller, as well as the lighthearted satires on psychotherapy, Cuckoo Forevermore, and Kookaburra's Last Laugh. His latest book, co-authored with Mary Frank, is Fighting for Love, Turn Conflict into Intimacy. Leonard lives in Orange County, where he writes, coaches, clients, and conducts seminars, and he's also the proud father of two adult children. His website is roadmaphome.com, and he can be contacted at leonard at leonardsz.com. Welcome, Leonard. Uh, Thank you very much, Cheryl, for having me on your show. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Um, what you know, I think what drew me to your work is that you um, both give a signpost that there is such a thing as as um, you know peace and well-being <laughs> to attain, but that um, you do focus on going through the hard stuff to get there. So I appreciate that that um, combination. Uh, some some authors kind of skip the hard part, so I appreciate that. And I wonder if you'd just start by talking about some of the experiences for you that led to this, uh, particularly, um, you know, the Roadmap map Home book and those ideas. Well, the Roadmap Home, you know, it's funny. You know, sometimes it's really hard to understand life uh, but we do it when we look back. We we live our life going forward, but uh, really we can't understand it until we look backward. And so if I look back at my life, probably the big occurrence occurred. I was six years old. My father left the family. That was the first time. And then he left the second time for good, and I was nine years old. And my mother was a factory worker working on the south side of Chicago. She was working at Campbell Soup. And... Uh, faced with the prospect of uh, having to rear four children on her own, she made the decision to take uh, the four of us uh, to an orphanage just as a backup plan, just to take a look at the prospect of if she couldn't rear us, we would be put in an orphanage. And uh, as it turned out, we never did go in the orphanage, but we visited there a couple of times just as, a, I guess it was kind of a backup home in case my mom was just overwhelmed. Again, um, mother looking after four kids, having to work in a factory. Um, her hands were just too full, uh, you know, it's cooking, cleaning, caring for us. 
And back then, I didn't realize it, but I had lost my home. And, you know, we all think of home as maybe a place that we feel safe and secure, comforted, but I didn't have that when I was growing up because I thought that my home can be taken in a flash. Mm. And it really could have been taken in a flash uh, if my mother just was overwhelmed or couldn't care for us. And I believe that out of our deepest wounds come our greatest gifts, and out of my wounds was a quest, and that quest was to find home. And and that's been a journey of my life, and that eventually led me to writing the book, The Roadmap Home. And it's interesting, too, because... Um I'm sure the experience as a kid was a physical place, you know, but uh, mm-hmm. what I got from the book is more a heart place, a place inside of ourselves, and that's an interesting maturing, isn't it, to kind of start just wanting a solid place to be, but ended up ending up kind of a journey inside yourself. So true. Um, I guess uh, the physical place is kind of a outward symbol of our home, but really deep down our, our inner home is a place where we feel comforted, at peace, and where we feel safe. Really, that's the key for our home is I feel safe and at peace. But that wasn't uh, my home growing up because I didn't feel very safe. There was domestic violence before my father left. It was a very, it was just a, a not a safe place to be. And as a result, I had to develop coping mechanisms to survive, kind of shutting down, numbing out. And those were my survival techniques um, because I didn't feel safe. And my quest again was, can I find this inner home, this place to be at peace, totally at the inside? And that that, that was been my my quest over the over my lifetime. You're saying something a little bit, uh, something I, I hesitate to dive into being a woman, but it appears to me like that coping strategy you had would be sort of um, socially supported, that, you know, kind of being being capable and going forward and not having a lot of feelings, uh, it must have taken something big for you to recognize that that was actually a problem. That that's my guess. Yeah, that's a great you know, uh, great comment uh, because particularly in our culture, men are taught to um, be tough, uh, um, suppress our feelings, move forward, be independent, self sufficient, and I learned those very well. And I think there were there are a number of turning points in my life. Uh, one of them was I, I joined or entered into a Catholic seminary, and I was there for eight years, and there were just wonderful men there. I guess it was my my way of finding a father. I didn't realize it at the time, but I, I joined the seminary to look for a father uh, to replace the one that I never had. Now, I never went on to, uh, to the priesthood, but I realized that the... Um, there was there was sufficient damage, and when I got into the therapy field, of course, then I realized, whoa, there was a lot of damage that occurred in my early upbringing. And as you know, Cheryl, as we're um, working with clients and we're learning and looking at ourselves, we say, wow, there's some big holes here that I I saw and had to had to attend to. 
And then later I became very involved in men's work. I've been involved with men's work for 30 years where we get together in, in groups in our support group really looking at where the issues are, how can we connect ourselves with our more emotional selves, which is very important for us men. And, you know, it's not as if women don't have that issue, but it is a little different, I believe. <laughs> uh, yeah, not, not I, of I, course, I'm generalizing, but um, mm-hmm. the challenges are maybe more, you know, um, I don't know, finding a voice and um, setting boundaries and this sort of thing. Not so much that you're not allowed to feel anything, you know. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, I, I think you know, I think the famous study that was done, that uh, I think they did studies on on uh, uh, women who were in college in in a dorm who were depressed, and so they did the study that women who were depressed and they reached out to other women and shared about the depression, they felt much better. Uh, and then they did another study about guys, men who were in college, and, and when they were depressed and they reached out to other men and they talked about being depressed, they felt worse. And, uh, and part of huh. it was... I've never I heard that before. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah, I think women are more um, available emotionally in relationships. So I think women have greater skills in the relational field than us guys do. So even if there is a loss, uh, women um, tend to probably feel at least they they have emotional support systems that they can at least talk with and share how they're experiencing life, whereas guys sometimes uh, um, lack those support systems that they can really open their hearts and be vulnerable. And so men's groups are one way that you started to decipher what was going on in there, huh? Yeah, men's groups are really, uh, they, they continue to be a very integral part of my life. It's, I really, I just had a men's group on uh, yesterday, Tuesday evening, I go to a men's group, and it's really incredible for a group of men, so, so let's think about uh, 11 of us last night, uh, to get together and to share what's going on with us. We do a check-in, and then we, later on, we, we say, when I do my work today, I want to work on. And so we identify an issue we want to work on. And it could be loss, it could be um, work issues, relationship issues, but, um, you know, we're kind of claiming some time to work on ourselves. That's, that's incredible to be in those type of environments um, uh, where we feel safe to work on ourselves and and make changes and personally grow. Mm. Mm. Well, don't, uh, you think, don't you think that women tend to sometimes be a bit more comfortable in those arenas? Well, I, I uh, again, I hesitate to generalize. Uh, I think I think yes, in terms of feelings like being sad or hurt. Mm-hmm. Probably, probably no. Generally, in terms of feeling mad, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that um, you know I came up during during the the first um, modern women's movement, where people were forming support groups, consciousness raising groups, mm-hmm. and I I've been thinking back on that as a way that. Uh, that that was connected for me to learn to learning to recognize my feelings and and express them. 
So, you know, it's uh, um, there's a general tendency and there, then there's also really being able to dive into who you are and, you know, women aren't always good at that, right? So mm-hmm. it's it's a very nuanced thing, isn't it? But I but it I is. think it is. Uh, but but to me, you did choose a strategy of getting through your childhood that was uh, available to look at all around you to just kind of plow on, right? Uh, that, that was uh, yeah. It was just it was interesting in my family. We so I have two sisters and a brother, and we just plowed on. And I always think of this story that we were all so independent, so we pretty well kind of had to look after ourselves. And so I remember my sister related the story that she and my brother were in the same high school, and uh, they they went to the swim meet. My sister was uh, in the um, swim team, and my brother was in the diving team. And so when they show up for this competition, they look at each other and says, what are you doing here? They says, we're on the swim team. And so that was the first time they, they realized that both of them were on the, on, on the swim team. <laughs> so they had never spoken about what they were actually doing out no. there in the world. <laughs> so they didn't even talk about uh, the fact that they were both on, on different types of teams, but <laughs> at the same high school. So that's kind of my, that was my family growing up. And so, you know, one thing that makes me think of is you had four of you, and yet you could still be all alone. Yes. You know, my siblings, I was closest to my uh, younger sister growing up, and uh, that that began to change over time. But, uh, uh, yeah, so even though... um, you know, my mother was just, just the worker, so she really didn't have much time for us. My grandmother eventually helped us out and uh, lived in the basement. She had a ba- we had a basement apartment, and she became my maternal mother, so to speak. So I would always, um, when I came home from school, the first place I went to was downstairs to visit my grandmother, and um, she usually had, I don't know, something to eat or whatever, and then and then I would go upstairs home, but that was always my favorite place to, to go, is just to be with my grandmother. And, but my grandmother uh, was Polish, so she didn't speak very good English, so I really couldn't share with her the trials of the day or what I was doing, because she really didn't quite understand, so we would kind of speak kind of a choppy English to talk, but nothing really of depth. You know, I think you're saying something important there because I, I, these people that stand out in contrast to whatever was difficult about childhood, they do help you get on the road, I think, ultimately, you know, yeah. this road you're talking about. But it wasn't what she said to you. It was being with her, maybe feeling loved, I don't know, um, something, something touched you there. Yeah, I felt safe with my grandmother, and I felt special. So, um, and I, she made my other siblings feel special as well and safe. So that was her her little downstairs apartment um, was just kind of a two bedroom downstairs apartment that we always worried would be flooded because if it rained really hard, sometimes it would flood. And uh, but it, it felt like it was a safe place. And I felt cared about, 
and um, as I said, special. And I think when we experience loss, that sometimes there are other people around um, that may even be a teacher or some some kind of divine angel who has entered into our life that uh, gives us the feeling that we are special, that it is safe to be in that environment. I think we all need that to grow and thrive, and and, and hopefully um, when we experience loss, we can find those particular individuals that will help us move through this some very difficult times. Absolutely. Um, I, I like, something strikes me about your grandmother being in the basement, you know, kind of at the, in the in the heart of your house, in the in the <laughs> deepest place of your house. I don't know. It it kind of um, warms me to think of that 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 was where you where you went. Of course, nothing is completely safe. There was the water to deal with, but <laughs> that's true. And then in the morning, since my mom would have to get up early in the morning, she's about to get up at five o'clock in the morning to get to work by six o'clock. So my grandmother was the alarm clock. She did a wake-up call, and she would wake us up by taking a stick and hitting it against the uh, ceiling. And then <laughs> when we heard the stick, we would get out of bed and stomp our feet on the, on the floor to let her know that we're up. <laughs> that was like, that was a snooze button, you know? Push the snooze uh-huh. button, and then maybe climb back into bed. And, you, and I, something tells me you didn't want her to have to come upstairs to get you started. <laughs> <laughs> so when we come back, I I really want to dive into you know this this map, and I I think you'd probably agree with me. Our 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 emotional spiritual maps are not necessarily they're they're kind of a winding road in a way. But I'd just like to talk about your conception of how we how we move forward along that road when we get back, and uh, listeners. You can you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America, and you can find Leonard at RoadmapHome.com. Be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones. I've been talking with Leonard Shimshek about his work helping people to come home to themselves and his book, The Roadmap, the Roadmap Home. And uh, Leonard, uh, before break, we were talking about heading in the direction of really what kinds of tools. I mean, for me, the tools that are most helpful with other people are often the ones I've, I've found value in myself. <laughs> For sure, mm-hmm. there's a crossover there. But I just wondered, both in your own uh, kind of healing and, and growth and in what you do in your work, uh, some of the things that that you find really powerful when working with um, those stuck places in us. Yeah, so what I'd like to do is maybe just kind of walk through the roadmap to get home, and part of the roadmap is looking at what happens after we're born. I have a 17-month-old grandson, and he lives in Australia. I was just watching how he relates to the world, and he is just curious, and he's mimicking, and he's modeling. He's just taking into the world, and in many ways, when we enter the world, we start adapting. Our, our goal is to adapt, accommodate. That's how we survive. And so if we're in a family environment that um, encourages expression, well, then we're going to be thriving in that type of an environment. If we're in an environment that uh, where there's abuse, there's neglect, there's abandonment, well, we have to survive that way as well. And I, I think that when we are fully mm, aligned and at home, we really are connected with our body, and we have a we we know we have a right to be. We're connected with our emotions. We have a right to feel all of our emotions. Uh, we're we're connected with our thoughts. So we have a right to think and exercise our will. Will we have a right to um, be loved and experience love? To speak and be heard and to to see and to be seen. And when we're in alignment. This occurs. Now, when there's a, a loss, it's, an, it's just as if I, I, in the olden days, we used to have these telephone wires that um, had all these little tiny wires inside of the cable. And if there's loss, sometimes that cable has been cut. And so we may have had uh, a disconnection from our emotions, may have a disconnection from our heart, from our ability to use our voice and speak or to be seen. And so our goal in life is to reattach those wires of connection so that we are functioning more fully and alive in the world, just like uh, my grandson would be. Mm. And I, I, I think one of the, I, I always think when I lose my home, it means I become an orphan. 
I I forget who I am. I forget that I have all these rights. I forget that uh, uh, about being connected with my emotions and and to my heart and to my soul. And and so the loss often losses later on act as wake-up calls. They, they push us to, you know, let's say if we had a tragedy or a loss, it could be a health-related illness, a loss of a relationship, loss of a job. That loss is a trigger to help us wake up, to realize that, wow, um, somehow I've lost myself. I've lost my true self, my authentic self. And that becomes our journey is to stay awake. How can I begin to reclaim those rights so that I can function fully in the world with all these wires connected, really connected to um, my full potential? And and that is the, the roadmap home. And, and part of it is uh, staying awake means we also have to heal some of our wounds uh, to to uh, move forward. I think that there are kind of three things that, uh, three areas that I believe when it comes to reconnecting with ourselves is, first is awareness. As you know, Cheryl, awareness is such of a important thing. It's like the first step of anything. I have to be aware that I'm disconnected before I can become connected. I have to be aware yes. that I'm not at home to to have a longing to go home. I have to be aware of that. I just got this longing to be home, to be at peace, to find inner love. And that longing, that awareness, then becomes a um, kind of a propulsion to move forward to find that. And that awareness is so critical because that's just the first step of really identifying where it is that I need to to get some help. You know, the second thing that I believe we need is uh, people. We need people around us to help us. And so obviously we have therapists, we have coaches, we have friends, we have family, people who can really be there for us, don't give up on us, Hmm. people who are available to say, uh, I'm going to make this safe, I'm compassionate, and this is an opportunity for you then to tell your story because Part of the healing is that um, I'm, I'm able to share with somebody, and sometimes journaling is sharing with somebody. It's kind of like the journal is a witness. Somebody that can hear my story so that I can begin to um, find those lessons and turn the negatives into positives, shift my brain out of maybe rumination or compulsivity into safety resilience. And, and um, um, so we have awareness, we have kind of people that we can draw upon for resources. And then in that, in that light, then we start sharing our story. So let's say if we go through loss, talking about loss, sharing our loss, sharing the grief that we've experienced could be in a support group. And then from the sharing of our, our story, we can begin to create new stories. We can decide on new directions in our life. So those mm-hmm. are kind of like the very important things that we really need when we uh, to help us return back home. And I always know when I'm back home, I always feel this sense of just inner peace, you know, inner calm, inner peace, sense of uh, love within. And when I don't feel that, it means I'm, I'm not really at home. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely. It, you know, at some point uh, in the course of reading your book, I was thinking about a teacher I had that developed something he called self-acceptance training, and he didn't mean it in the usual way. The defini- de- definition was experiencing myself as I am in this moment without the inhibition of self-criticism, self-evaluation, or self-judgment. And <laughs> That's a great definition because that's really mindfulness, as, as you know. There's a Absolutely, huge, because you can be, be aware of something, but if you're aware of it in a critical way, it won't move. Mm-hmm. It won't. It won't really um, take you anywhere. And he said he said the word training was in it because we're always in training. Yeah, I that, like that. Because, that <laughs> you know so that true. our whole lives <laughs> we're trying yes. to. You know, we're going to have those moments. And we're going to go out of sync with those moments. Um, I, I like it. It still guides my work quite a bit. He's He's been dead for a long time, but I still hear him talking to me <laughs> very yeah, much. And, and this very wise uh, um, uh, philosophy, wise uh, sayings, because really mindfulness is the awareness, as you said, of just accepting myself as I am without judgment. The without judgment is, is the most important, or it's just as important as awareness, because if I'm Otherwise, it's myself, not really, otherwise, it's not really just pure awareness. Correct. Is it? Correct. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's more of a frowning face than, than it is awareness. But as you were, as you were um, laying out these kinds of, uh, areas, uh, you know, signs along the road, um, I realized you could kind of get in trouble with any one of them. For instance, I, th- I believe kids adapt in the ways they need to, to, to um, given their personality and the situation, uh, to survive. And mm-hmm. so th- those are things we really hold on to tight, don't we? Um, it's not enough to just know it's not working for you so well. It's really hard to let go of. And then, go ahead. Put it this way. If, um, obviously, um, we learned English growing up. That became our mother tongue. Now, just imagine I want to start now speaking Spanish or another language. It means I I have to train my mind to learn another language. That basically is what we often have to do, is training ourselves, retraining ourselves to think a little bit differently. So if I was brought up in a very negative family, so when I grew up, I never heard the words, I love you, by my parents growing up. I never heard, I love you. And so I thought, well, no one ever said, I love you. And so I didn't use, I love you. And then I remember in... Um, in, in my uh, um, studies, I went to a workshop, and, and this kind of came into the light, and, and the facilitator, um, we did a role play, and I had someone play my mother, and then they said, and then I was saying, well, I'd like to say I love you, and he says, well, just say it, and I, and I, I was choking. I, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly the kind of thing I was, ta- I was thinking of, that it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it takes a lot to move past... The things that have protected us for so long. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. At least according it's, to it's one part of us. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And then I was thinking of all the uh, the troubles people get into with their what you're calling wake-up calls and signposts, otherwise known as really difficult things in your life. 
and how many other directions there are to go with that besides just waking up and paying attention, you know, uh, feeling like you have an X on your back or feeling like everyone's against you or, you know, there are so many interpretations of difficult things that can stop up the works a bit, yes? Yeah, and, and really the difficult situations are, are, uh, are there. Usually when there's a difficult situation in my life, I, I have to pause and stop. I remember in 2004, I got a call at like 2 in the morning, and my daughter was traveling in Asia, and uh, I got a call. She was in the hospital. She had a motorcycle accident. Mm. One of these most horrific calls that a parent treads receiving, and uh, so um, of course uh, went over there to help bring her back to America. But again, when when that that kind of tragedy, uh, traumatic event, um, um, forced me to start evaluating my life. I said, you know, I was living in Chicago. I always wanted to come back to, to California. I lived in Australia 14 years, but uh, I loved the you know, West Coast uh, weather. So I, the, really, my, my daughter's um, traumatic incident really pushed me to evaluate my life. Is what, am I living the life that I really want? And it really forced me to um, stop and evaluate and then make a decision. No, I do really want to move to California. And that prompted the domino effect for me to start making these decisions. Sometimes these horrific things in life really force us to make some huge decisions. And, I, you know, many of the clients that I've worked with, I mean, I've helped so many clients who've gone through divorce, lost partners, um, health issues, but, but they... Uh, these these issues, many of them have forced them to really uh, take clients deeper within themselves and have a really deeper connection, even finding their their spiritual self, their soul, mm. connect with their soul. That uh, without this um, this um, um, loss, they probably would never be there. Yes, I'm always really careful to say that people make other choices besides the one we you've just talked about um, to avoid or to, you know, um, uh, shut it down or put it in a box. Um, that that happens too. But the idea that there's this possibility to actually, in the end, appreciate what you learned from it. Is is I think uh, of course it's the heart of this show. It's it's a mighty possibility, isn't it? Uh, uh, it is a mighty possibility because every every loss, uh, even like this morning, uh, I um, I realized there were, there was a glitch on my website and there was technical problems and I always get a bit kind of panicky when there's technical problems on my website because I got to call uh, the technical support and start this. And I said, oh my god. You know, and I says, "Hey, uh, let's be curious. What? I wonder what this means. And is this really affecting my life right now? You know? <laughs> Why am I freaking out? You mean? <laughs> yeah. Why am I freaking out? <laughs> because my website's having glitches. I mean, 
And I, and I had a chuckle at myself. I says, Larry, what are you doing? And, uh, and I just caught myself. I says, okay, this is, you know, the grand scheme of things. Things. This is like a, a grain of sand um, of all the beaches. And I'm freaking out above a little tiny grain of sand. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and sometimes it, in my experience, takes a little longer <laughs> to to kind yeah. of sort out. Um, you know, I'm thinking about the couple of years after my wife was diagnosed with cancer. I was kind of in a constant state of freakout, and mm-hmm. um, it I couldn't have just decided to be otherwise. But once you get the hang of kind of moving through it with yourself, it does become easier, don't you think? It does, it does. And a grain of sand, though it may be small, you put a grain of sand in your eye, and uh, it's going to feel extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So, put a grain the of sand other- in your shoe, you may not feel it, but in your eye, boy, it feels like you've got a boulder there. Absolutely. And the other thing that was coming to my mind, we pro- we only have about a minute left before our, our break, but um, I was thinking about this sense of having um, supportive others to, to listen and be with. That is not a given for a lot of people. And no. uh, I, I would love to talk when we get back just about differentiating um, you know, how do people begin to uh, say no to relationships that don't offer them that and say yes to relationships that do? And, of course, in every relationship there's a mix. How do we favor um, communications that bring that into it? So let's start there when we get back. That's a great topic. All right, great. Um, And, you know, listeners, while you're out there waiting for us to come back, you can go to my website, weatherandgrief.com, two two Gs in that, or you can go find Leonard Shimshek at roadmathome.com. Back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. 
To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Leonard Shimshek, author of The Roadmap Home. And Leonard, before the break, I was saying I'd really like to talk about, uh, you know, you mentioned have people to support you and listen and and help you and all of that, which uh, I, I feel in a way was a... Was a um, a hard thing to bring about in my old life, in my own life, and many people I work with—that's a real sticking point. Uh, finding people who are that, you know, choosing, choosing well, and once you realize someone isn't that, um, feeling the, uh, I guess, authority to say no to that sort of relationship that doesn't support you. Yes, and I, there's kind of a rule of thumb um, in being in a relationship is to ask ourselves, does this relationship replenish me or does it deplete me? And I think that's kind of like an indicator, geez, when I'm with this person, I just feel down and out because they tend to want to talk about negativity or complain a lot or whether they're replenishing. And... You know, there's a lot of uh, brain research about mirror neurons, and the mirror neurons is that we are built to connect. So when we are with somebody, we we are kind of our organism wants to connect. And so I'm with a very negative person that, uh, you know, to connect, uh, I'm looking for ways to connect. And this is uh, almost on an unconscious uh, basis that we're just wanting to connect. I'm going to start adapting and accommodating to this particular relationship. And so it really makes, it's very important who is in the room, who we are with, because that um, impacts our own um, way of being. You know, we start getting, you know, there's a word called entrained, and that means we start getting trained to be in this relationship. So mm-hmm. important to to be able to recognize. Um, now we can be with with someone, family or friends, and they're having a hard time, and so we're there as a support person. But I'm talking about someone who's who's there. It's on a it's, it's a chronic pattern that an individual has, maybe of negativity. And when you're with them, you feel you're always being pulled down. Those are the type of relationships. It's really important to uh, be to monitor and make sure that you're really taking good care of yourself. Well, I was also thinking just just this week I was talking with a client about uh, about a very severe um, lack of attention from a therapist she worked with. Mm-hmm. and uh, and so I just because I've had that conversation this very week, um, I just want to say out loud, sometimes you get to working with someone and it's just not that kind of relationship for you. Um, And I think sometimes people don't empower themselves to get out, (laughs) you know, to just say, I don't think this is the place for me, (laughs) you know. Um, Even in therapy, even in a relationship that's supposed to be helping, sometimes it isn't for a given person, you know, a, a given combination, yes? Yeah, so true. And, and really, uh, you know, as a therapist, I, my, my, my job and my goal is to create a very safe environment for my clients to be with me and then to 
uh, be a witness to what they're going through and to help them um, kind of uh, restory their lives so that they are the main, the, the hero, the heroine of their life and they can, their job, all of our jobs is to, to restory it. What story do I really want my life to be? Is it a story of being a victim? If it is, I want to be a character who's really empowered in life. So uh, my job as a therapist is just to create the environment so that an individual can um, clarify what they want their role to be and who they want to be, and then to help them play with that new character, so to speak. (laughs) I was saying during the break, play with that new character is what made me laugh, because I was saying during the break, sometimes you have to kind of get everyone out of your field and, and talk to yourself for a while, too. Um, those moments where um, you just need to reference back to yourself and, and then once you kind of get, get a handle on where you are, bring someone else into it. Uh, there's, there, there are a lot of aspects here that intersect, don't they? They sure do. In, in my, my, I'm, I'm writing my, my current book that I'm writing is called You'll Like This, Cheryl, Fire Your Therapist. Write your way to help. <laughs> well, gosh, isn't that synchronous? <laughs> <laughs> because, because really, um, I, I've been writing for 30-some years, and I've been journaling for 40 years. I've got bankers' boxes filled with journals. To me, my journal is my therapist as well. It's like I'm, it's, it's, uh, it's a place, and I really encourage uh, my clients to do writing because the writing down externalizes what they're thinking, what they're feeling uh, in a non-judgmental way so that they can begin to um, restory restory their lives so that they as a character, you know, their old character is moving off of chapter seven and they're now moving into chapter eight with this new character who's more enlightened and uh, empowered. Well, and that doesn't surprise me as a title because I know that the couple of novels you've written take a light look at therapy. You know, you you are someone who doesn't want to take yourself too seriously. Would that be fair to say? I would say so. You know, I'd like to see myself as the John Grisham of uh, psychotherapy. Because John Grisham tends to uh, take down the legal profession. And I... I, uh, um, you know, the therapy profession, you know, my first book, Cuckoo Forevermore, which is a um, satire on psychotherapy, it's kind of like a, one flew over the cuckoo's nest set in a children's psychiatric hospital in Sydney, Australia. And um, uh, I, I did it to just kind of uh, make fun of the business because there's a lot of strange things that happen in our business. I'm sure you would agree, Cheryl. And Of course. Uh, in any business, but yes, that includes ours. <laughs> it includes ours, and, and I figured, okay, I'm, I just gotta make fun of ourselves. So it's, it's in in my books. Usually, the clients are the saner people, and the therapists are the ones with more of the problems. And so, <laughs> uh-huh. and I had I had good fun, um, I, good fun, uh, just just. Um, and, those, and, and being able to write about life's lessons in the stories as well. That's the, kind of like my goal is to kind of the, people like stories and they can learn a lot through stories. For sure. 
uh, whether that's, uh, you know, I'm, I have a particular fondness for uh, the memoir genre mm-hmm. um, because I find that when people dive into their own story, if they do it well, it becomes universal. Uh, uh, yes, what is so personal is universal. Indeed. It is. And I'd like to, if, I, I'd like to uh, just shift. I, I, I'm aware of our time, and I'd like to talk about the concept of forgiveness, because obviously you probably had many conversations with your audience on forgiveness. Indeed. Um, but forgiveness is so, such an important key to this whole realm of moving through loss, is is moving away from guilt, moving away from shame, and just forgiving ourselves for feeling. So even though I may be feeling grief to forgive myself, if there really is no forgiveness for grief, grief is grief. But to forgiveness is letting go, releasing, saying goodbye. And uh, that's that's really very important for us. And, um, and I kind of like to just share a story. Absolutely. That, uh, I was married uh, 26 years. And uh, Marilyn and I, uh, then we divorced, went our own separate ways. And after I wrote the roadmap home, I was going to Chicago to do a workshop. And I called her up and said, um, I'm doing a workshop. I'd like to invite you as my guest. Would you like to come? And we had been divorced for many years, and, um, and it was, there were some really painful moments of our divorce, but uh, we had done a lot of healing. And so she agreed to come to the workshop, and uh, during the workshop, we do this forgiveness exercise um, based on the Hawaiian healing called Pono Pono. And in the exercise, very simple. You just say, look at the person, say, thank you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I love you. And so I asked Mary Lou if... Um, She'd be able to do that in the workshop, and it's very heartfelt, and both of us started crying, of course, in this workshop. But it was just a very healing moment. And mm-hmm. she invited me to her place um, the next day for dinner. And I went over there, and, and we were talking and doing more healing and sharing. And uh, um, she says, do you have the wedding ring? I says, oh, no, I, I released it, let it go. She says, I still have our wedding ring. And I says, well, you know, do you want to hang on to it or you want to release it? And she said, I'd like to let it go. And she had a little, she had a lake outside of her condo. And so she said, let's do it now. It was like 10 o'clock at night. And so we walked down to the lake and there's a bridge going over into part of the lake. And so we <clears throat> blessed the ring. We were saying goodbye to the ring. Um, and then as we blessed it. And then she tossed the ring into the lake. And as soon as that ring hit the water, the lights on the bridge went on. Oh, my gosh. It was like a Hollywood moment. I looked at her. She looked at me. And the our theme song when we were married was Bridge Over Troubled Waters. Those moments you just can't, you cannot make that up, can you? No, no. <laughs> than fiction. It was just, yes, it was just a, an incredible moment. And that's, I think, the power of forgiveness, that uh, somehow when... When we really allow ourselves to go into forgiveness, um, the lights come on, we become lighter ourselves. And, you know, I've encountered those same moments when something is just, people find peace but not forgiveness. Um, mm-hmm. There's, a, there, there's a, sa- a similar kind of um, depth at accepting what is, if you will. Yes. Um, 
And um, certainly I prefer forgiveness myself. <laughs> I, I like the feeling of it. And I know that I've also had a lot of healing moments with myself when I was not prepared to forgive something. Just saying, well, I don't wish that person ill, but I'm just not ready to completely release it. And so I want to put in a word for that, too. But the kind of moment you're describing, the kind Mm -hmm. of moment you're describing is so precious and irreplaceable, isn't it? And it it occurred because of the healing healing that occurred over a number of years. So um, we wouldn't have been able to do that like... uh, a year after we were divorced, we were very right. far from even being on the same bridge together. But then, over the years, and as you know, with loss, sometimes time is necessary to do the healing. If you have a heart transplant, you're not going to jump out of the off of the bed and start doing laps around the block. You, there takes time to do some healing. Absolutely, but if you take really good care of yourself. Uh, you know, in the meantime, it it seems to go a little faster, yeah. <laughs> wouldn't you <That's> say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, I I had a similar I had a similar sort of experience not not long ago where I, I we didn't do any kind of ceremony, but I just looked at this person who had hurt me very deeply, and I I didn't feel, uh, you know, I felt. A sense of self-protection, but I didn't. I didn't feel grip. Mm-hmm. Like a hook. Yeah. No, there was none. There was just. Yeah. Okay. That's that's um, that's in the past. Um, and and certainly forgiveness, but even a little bit more. Like we're we're each in our lives going forward. Uh, it is a beautiful mm-hmm. feeling. Yeah, it is. And uh, there's a beautiful feeling of just being, of releasing, uh, letting go of the baggage of um, holding on. It's like letting go of a weight that is on our shoulders. So important. Absolutely. There are actually a lot of shows on on my list uh, about forgiveness, so maybe people can look those up. And I think that's a beautiful place to to end. I want to thank you for being with me, Leonard. It's it's been oh, a great so conversation. Happy. Thank you so much for having me on your show. You're doing a fabulous Absolutely. job. Of what you're what you're thank you. for your audience. Thank you. Is just great. And, and thank you. And listeners, you can go to roadmaphome.com to find Leonard. Um, next week I'll have Claire Wineland. Claire's a 19-year-old who's lived her entire life with cystic fibrosis. We'll talk about how that's shaped her and about her book Every Breath I Take. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.